Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Yes, we're consumed by social unrest and the gruesome pictures from around the nation. We're shocked that the peaceful protesters have created an opening for looters, and the police sometimes can't tell the difference between the two. Even from a purely business perspective, you'd think people smashing up major retail destinations like the flagship Macy's in Harold Square would be bad for the stock market, right? Yet every time the market looks like it's about to get clocked, we get a stay of execution. Witness today's action. Dow gained 268 points. S&P climbed 0.82%. Nasdaq advanced 0.59%. Last night, after President Trump's fire and brimstone law and order speech, our futures plummeted. A declaration of war replete with the threatened deployment of the U.S. Army. That's not the job. They're war fighters. Makes you want to sell stocks for certain, and those futures looked ugly. And all those images of looting sure didn't help. The future stayed soft. Then I got up at 3.15 a.m. and the pre-carnage. Futures have rallied to you. An hour and a half later, the futures were up nicely. You know what counteracted the paroxysms of pain? A 4% rally in the German stock market, with several of their forces not far behind. Yes, we actually sat to the tune of the German market. Yep, I've been watching the rest of the world. Many of these countries are flashing bright green now. We don't talk about it enough. I am saying that the possibility of an aggressive stimulus in Europe, including the penny-pinching German government, where they seem to be falling all over themselves to resurrect their economy by any means necessary, is moving our stock market. I'm talking about the incredible turn in China, which just had an astounding 11% gain in auto sales. That's gigantic for the world's economies. Surge in iron. How about copper? The latter, which it, it eleven week high, that's huge because copper is a tremendous barometer of global economic activity. The biggest market in the world for copper is China. If the rest of the world's in better shape, well, that is fantastic news for our companies that do lots of business overseas. And you know what? It absolutely overshadows what's happening here. The implications of China's recovery in particular are enormous. First, we may have a, having a real trade dispute at the highest levels, but it hasn't really trickled down to many American businesses. But there was a bit of an uproar today about Apple slicing prices for new phones ahead of one of China's communist-mandated shopping holidays. I say, hold your horses. The last time Apple cut prices took a massive amount of market share and ended up beating the sales estimates for the street. Could be happening again. Other than CEO Tim Cook's impassioned plea for social justice, we haven't heard much from the company. So we don't really know how they're doing. 
However, like PayPal, Apple Pay is benefiting from the desire for contactless transactions at all sorts of stores. People are reluctant to hand over their credit cards or put their fingers on COVID-encrusted keypads. The house of pain. And don't even get me started on cash. But a resurgence in the Chinese market could be phenomenal for Apple. Then there's Nike, which could be getting the boost it, it, it needs from more aggressive consumer spending in China. Hey, have you ever thought maybe that's why it's at 100? Now, I was less than thrilled to see a Nike store looted in Manhattan as you were. But China's the locus of the growth, and they've got a terrific partnership with the Chinese Ministry of Education. People who are in better shape are less likely to get extremely sick or die from COVID. Now, our country's going to yawn and do nothing about lowering obesity. America takes a blood-simple approach to these issues. Down here, you're on your own. If anything, our entire agriculture and packaged food industry seem committed to keeping everyone addicted to junk food. But I expect China to be much less cavalier about this kind of thing, and I bet Nike will play a part in that. What else? I've seen some ridiculous misinformation in the last 24 hours about Starbucks and how it lowered numbers yesterday after the close. Not true. The statements, which freaked people out, knocked the stock down, came just when things were stabilizing the U.S. and picking up in China. Don't be distracted by the slowdown, alleged slowdown in our country. That was already in the numbers. There was nothing new. Instead, focus on Starbucks China and its now hobble competitor, Luckin Coffee, a fraudulent operation whose luck has run out. China's strength has a lot of ramifications. It can put a bid under oil. Looks like it has, right? At 36. It can bolster U.S. railroad traffic. All aboard! And most of all, if trade can go uninterrupted for a few months, it can provide a huge spur for many of our semiconductor uh, companies. Uh, we, we have Marvell Technologies on tonight. That thing has been a horse. And they'll explain just how much business China uh, China's given right now to the uh, 5G makers, uh, uh, 5G chip makers, including Marvell. Uh, it's not just Marvell, though. It's Skyworks. You know, that one is so good. Uh, Corvo. Qualcomm, they are roaring now that China's economy is back online. I think they all have more room to run. Maybe we can also count on some Boeing orders, some Caterpillar orders, stock acts like that way, or even General Motors. These are all laggers. They can play catch up with the rest of the world's recovering, like Dow Chemical has with the stock rally another 5% today. Dow's now up 18 points since CEO Jim Fitterling came on the show when the stock was at 22 and made an incredible call shot, said it was time to buy. Dividend safe. DuPont's a winner, too. Even with its auto exposure, as auto sales can pick up as refining. Yes, when you see those spectacularly strong PMI numbers from China, well, you know that someone's getting some big orders from America who does business there. Uh, whether they like it or not, it's going to be DuPont. Hey, by the way, we fret so much about Tesla's American orders. Maybe we should be focusing on the Shanghai orders, as that's where the money is going to be. Oh, and Alibaba had a tremendous quarter that you might have missed it if you were worried about U.S. legislation meant to rein in silly, money-losing Chinese companies. That's nothing to do with Alibaba, the Amazon of China, which has impeccable financials. Even after today's nearly 4% run, I am telling you Alibaba's strong quarter still isn't reflected in the stock, especially after battles on another Chinese e-commerce play reported spectacular revenue growth last night by Alibaba. Honestly, though, as encouraging as China might be, it's Europe that I find really surprising. It's been a dog's age since we heard anything good out of Europe. But now the European Central Bank and Germany Chancellor, Germany's Chancellor Angela Merkel are outdoing each other, coming up with plans to stimulate the economy. UK may not be far behind them, by the way. The age of austerity in Europe is over. The Germans are always worried about inflation, legacy of Weimar. But right now, I think they're looking at us and they're more worried about 
unrest if they don't spend a fortune to get the European economy moving in. We have become exactly who everyone wants to avoid. Before the EU's lost decade, Europe, an economy of 800 million people, used to matter. But it's been moribund for years. Can you imagine if it actually took off? Can you imagine? You should, because it has, which is one reason why we suddenly have a weaker dollar. So many of our companies have had to adjust their numbers down over the years because the dollar's been too strong. Now that U.S. interest rates are as low as Europe's, our country's no longer being flooded with European money, and the dollar can go down. In short, Europe has a pulse, and its pulse is loud enough to impact our stock market. I cannot recall when that's been the case, maybe since 2011 when they decided to save the darn thing. All that said, I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna here. The United States is in a bad spot. We have a massive unemployment problem. Some of our hottest trends in our stock market, like the stay-at-home thesis, they look a little long in the tooth, at least for now. There's a meek rotation in the financials because there's so much debt issuance, and this week we're finally getting some equity issuance. We've had a run in auto and auto-related, but that's because of China, not United States. But the bottom line, today our market was saved by strength overseas for the first time in a long time. China and Europe bailed our stock market out. I say, who cares? I'll take it. Hey, why don't we go to Elliot in New York, please? Elliot. Jamie, how are you? I am good, Elliot. How about you? I'm doing well. I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank you for their nuts. I want to thank you for Fang. But on a day like today, I especially want to thank you for the COVID-19 index. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're trying to look. We were just trying to explain to people why the S&P is not reflecting what's going on. And it's because some of our companies are just built for this moment. How can I help? So I get a stock. It's trading for about a seven times P.E. while their peers are trading for two times over that. It's at a 5.8% yield. Per their last conference call, the company experienced a massive surge in direct-to-consumer direct e-commerce because of COVID. They're one of the top-selling brands on Amazon. Their products are sold at all the essential big-box stores, CBS, Target, Lowe's, Home Depot. It plays into the do-it-yourself tie-dye and arts and crafts projects from home, hits on the current 1990s fashion trend, and let's not forget the free pump from number 23 himself, Michael Jordan, via The Last Dance. Jimmy, what do we think of this Phoenix rising from the ashes? Jimmy Chills, I'm talking about Haynes Rand, HBI. Yeah, I, you know what? It is time. I've said no at 20. I said no at 15. Uh, I'm going to go with it here. I think you're right. I think that it's going to come back along with a lot of the other consumer uh, consumer errors. I like it. It's a good call. Elliot's got horse sense. Why don't we go to Brian in New Hampshire, please? Brian. Booyah, Jim, from the Granite State. Well, you bet, man. What's up? My question tonight is AstraZeneca. It has its feet wet in a potential virus vaccine, but it's got a lot more going on. And that's the good news this week with Lamparza. So my two-part question is, is it's a good time to invest more in AstraZeneca? And do you see real growth potential in the next six months to a year? I have to be impressed. Now, I think you could say, Jim, where were you last week? This thing has had a very, very big run. But it has got, it has a lot of things going for it. Just like you said, it's only got a 3% yield now, but they've done remarkable things. I cannot believe that this company has made such a comeback. How do you like that? And, you know, the pancreatic cancer, the, uh, the oncology, they did fantastic. I watched the ASCO stuff from this magazine, uh, online magazine called Stat, and I thought AstraZeneca was the most impressive thing that I saw in, in Stat's coverage of ASCO. All right, whenever we think the market's going to get clocked, what do we get? A stay of execution. Today our market was saved 
by strength overseas, particularly Europe, but also China. Oh, man, tonight, I have said endlessly that there are only a handful of oils I would own. Tonight, I'm explaining why certain stocks in the group actually have captured my fancy for you. Then, demand for RVs is high at dealers across the country as Americans look for alternative ways to travel while also social distancing. I'm eyeing the bull market. I'm seeing the space. And as more people work from home, cybersecurity is more important than ever. I'm finding out how Proofpoint can help. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What's the safest way to own the oils now that the price of crude has gone from full circle? from negative 37 at its lows to almost 37 today, its highest level since March. Regular viewers know I have serious long-term reservations about the oil stocks. That, I, that I, I've said endlessly that they're only a handful to endorse. Uh, but every time I say that, people's eyes just glaze over. So here's the deal. Most of the oils are too risky for me, even with this incredible breakout in the price of crude. Younger investors have turned on fossil fuels. They think these companies are destroying the earth. And now that the coal industry has all but disappeared, oil's next. While the short-term future belongs to fossil fuels, and I admit that, the longer term doesn't. And we finally have gotten to the point where that matters to the stock market. And that's why I'm only willing to recommend the best of the best. The oil's with something really special going for them. So you got to know this is about suitability, knowing what you want. Everything else is simply not worth the trouble. So let me take you through the ones that work. I know many of you are drawn to the oil stocks for their large dividends. I say don't be stupid. There's only one high-yield oil producer with a dividend that I trust, and that is Chevron. If you go over that last quarter, CEO Mark Worth repeatedly talked about preserving the payout, and he has the cash flow to back it up. Chevron currently sports a 5.45% yield. It's golden. I'm so impressed by Worth's decision to walk away from his bidding war with Occidental over Anadarko last year. Now, Chevron could have easily beaten a much bigger company, but it wasn't worth the price. Worth, worth was too disciplined. The Anadarko deal wrecked Occidental's dividend and trashed its balance sheet. What about the sky-high yields from the Pipeline Master Limited Partnerships? Oh, you got to understand, many of those are illusory. With oil prices down in the 30s, historically still a very low level, we simply have too much pipe in this country. As for the other big producers, I think it's nuts to chase their dividends, especially after Royal Dutch slashed its distribution after many years of assuring us that it was fine. Chevron's the only one I have full confidence in. Next up, if you want great assets and discipline management, you can buy either pine. You can buy, let's just go buy Pioneer Natural Resources. And that's run by the legendary Scott Sheffield has been a guest many times on the show. Pioneer has the lowest cost, $500 per acre in the fantastic Midlands Basin region of the Permian. People are paying many times that with 10, value, 10 billion barrels of oil equivalent reserves. To put it another way, those costs come to $4.80 per barrel. So big gains, even at 37 right? A lot of the shale plays are losing money here, but Pioneer's doing just fine. Honestly, one reason I'm worried about the dividends of the majors is that none of them have acquired Pioneer. If they had enough cash, I think they would have snapped this one up a long time ago. What if you're drawn to growth? 
Well, I'm going to give you two larger growth companies, EOG Resources and Diamondback Energy. Both have throttled back their costs aggressively without totally destroying their production levels. EOG is taking its rig count from 36 down to eight rigs, and they intend to take that down to six for the rest of the year. EOG has always been one of the more disciplined of the growth-oriented exploration production plays. It's very rare to get the stock this cheap, and some investors are dismayed by how much they've reduced their spending. Not me. I think it's ridiculous. EOG will do better than its peers in terms of capital preservation. It's still going to give you above-average growth. As for Diamondback, symbol FANG, the other FANG, Wall Street was largely disappointed by their recent production numbers and especially their cuts to exploration. But I expect them to surprise the upside anyway in the second half. They've cut costs to the bone. They still have their 3.3% dividend, by the way. That said, it's a higher risk story than EOG. Finally, let me give you my personal favorite oil name. It's Parsley Energy P.E. This $4 billion producer not only hit its earnings targets, but it also recently declared that it can raise production to meet the higher oil prices we've gotten lately. Parsley's deeply committed to being a responsible operator, making it something of a rarity in an industry that generates a spectacular amount of pollution. So if you must have some oil exposure, please go with Best of Breed. You can have a big cap integrated with a safe dividend like Chevron or the producer with the best assets. That's Pioneer. You can have growth names, either the disciplined EOG or the Nimble Diamondback. Or you can stick with my personal favorite, the near $10 parsley, which made the numbers and should be able to beat them now that prices are up. But everyone else in the oil patch, hard pass. They have money's back in the break. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. We're always on the hunt for bull markets, even in the unlikeliest of places. And right now, there is an incredible stealth bull market in the RV space. Now, I think it might be a little too late to invest in these stocks. They've all had enormous runs, and we don't know how long this recession will last or the COVID problem, for that matter. But it's worth understanding how these stocks have caught fire during a very difficult period for the economy. And make no mistake, these things are red hot. After getting slammed at the beginning of the lockdown, they've come back with a vengeance. The two big makers of recreational vehicles and motorhomes, Thor Industries and Winnebago, are up more than 175% from the bottom and 243% respectively. When you zoom out and look at the parts suppliers like at LCI Industries, I've got a question on that the other day. It's up more than 80%. And it's not just RVs. That's what first caught my attention. It's camping. Witness the incredible run in Camping World Holdings, a major outdoor retailer that does a lot of business in the RV category with a stock that's up nearly, I know you won't believe this, but it's not a typo from me, 580% from its March list, 580%. That's not really a rebound, as Camping World's also up 63% for the year, which tells you that the COVID-19 economy has been a pronounced positive for these guys. House of pleasure. So what the heck is going on here? After a sustained multi-year run, the whole RV industry nosedived in 2018. Too much supply, not enough demand. Remember, Thor went down during that period. That was the beginning of a pretty tough time for the camping space. But suddenly this group is back, 
with some truly wild rallies off the March lows. I have to admit I was hesitant to recommend them at first because I didn't know if these moves could be trusted. I mean, my bad. I was worried it might be a dead cat bounce or another zombie industry that would have trouble finding its footing in this new shelter-in-place economy. However, over the last couple of months, we've gotten some data points that suggest camping is back in a big way. When you think about it, most forms of recreation are simply unsafe right now, even in states where the economy's reopened, though in many places the reopening is being rolled back by these protests. Plus, I mean, how do we know, let's say if you're going across the country, how do, you, how do we know that the hotel you're staying at is COVID-free, Airbnb? Camping, on the other hand, is the perfect COVID vacation. Not only do you finally get to go outside after spending months cooped up indoors, but you can still practice social distancing, especially if you've got an RV. One of these things lets you shelter in place and travel at the same time. It was made for this era. So maybe it shouldn't be surprising that the industry has caught fire in recent weeks. Uh, in the middle of May, a trade publication called RV Business published a piece noting that RV manufacturers were ramping up production. The reason? Listen to this. A rather surprising surge in retail orders as the U.S. public seeks to get back some form of normalcy in the wake of a life-altering pandemic, a fact that has been enhanced by a continuing upswing in new retail prospects interested in the social distancing and general control that RV travel offers in a changing world, end quote. It's ideal. Then the very next day, the Wall Street Journal publishes a piece declaring RVs, quote, the safest way to travel this summer, end quote. They quote an RV rental service that says, quote, we have been flooded with new inquiries and an unusually high number of longer rentals lasting for one to three months in duration. Now, if you, if you can't go to work and you're going stir crazy, well, this is clearly the way to go. It's a lot safer than hitting a crowded beach or taking a cruise. I'm thinking 2020 could be the summer of Thor Industries. And the one you may actually know, there are a bunch of them, but you may know Airstream uh, and, uh, and Winnebago. Now, the day after that, Forbes published an article on Campgrounds of America, which may or may not have been sponsored content. You know, those ads that look like normal stores. But uh, either way, it had some intriguing information. Campgrounds of America, KOA, owns hundreds of private campgrounds in the U.S. and Canada. They're saying the recovery is already here. While May was down 30 percent year over year, that's a lot better than nearly down 60 percent in the hotel industry. Their July and August bookings are currently down just 15 percent. But September, it's up 550 percent versus last year. Now, I don't believe in a V-shaped recovery for the broader economy. Camping, though, it seems like the V has arrived, probably because competing forms of recreation are all considered to be unsafe. Plus, I can't blame anyone who wants to spend some time in the countryside right now. I mean, you know, do you really want to take a trip to one of these big cities? Now, here's another piece of the puzzle. If you're having trouble believing in this RV resurgence, we had lots of ways to check things out on Mad Money. We checked out Google Trends where they analyze their top search queries. This is the chart of searches for RV rentals near me going back five years. Look at that incredible spike. We see the same thing when we look up RV for sale near me. Are we clever? 
And of course, we've heard from the companies themselves. On May 5th, LCI Industries reported. These guys make parts for Thor Industries in Winnebago. CEO Jason Lippert told us, and I quote, our May looks like about 70% of what we were in February, early March, before this whole thing hit. So that's a lot better than we would have anticipated, end quote. He goes on to say, quote, I think there's an unprecedented opportunity for the RV business and the marine business alike to take advantage of just where consumers are positioned today with respect to how they're going to vacation in the new vacation normal, end quote. I know that I wanted to look at, at uh, boats, too, but when you're in a, frankly, look, when you're in a recession, it's really, really hard to buy boats. Now, on May 7th, Camping World reported, and they told an incredibly bullish story. CEO Marcus Limonis, you know him from The Profit, explained that there was a big slowdown through mid-April. But that trend reversed. It, can, it, can, uh, it continued to turn positive through May. Listen to this. Quote, our lead volume online is up substantially in some days, as much as 50 percent. In terms of our web traffic, it's up substantially as much as 30 percent. And we're seeing that convert into first time buyers like we've never seen before. End quote. That is fantastic. Lamontis doesn't want to get back into the RV rental business too capital intensive. But he did say something interesting. He said it wouldn't surprise me if in the next 12 months, if we as a company unveil technology and a platform that make it easier for non-traditional RVers to enter the lifestyle in a different kind of way, end quote. Well, that's not something you do if the industry's struggling. So these RV stocks, well, they got a lot going for them here. They benefit from both COVID-19 and social unrest, but they're also already, you know, like I said, eh, let's say not undiscovered. All right. However, when you judge them based on next year's earnings estimates, this is the good news. The stocks are far from expensive here. Thor Industry sells for 20 times earnings, Winnebago for just 17. My worry here is that these are luxury items, and luxury items tend to do poorly in recession. What happens when the expanded unemployment insurance runs out at the end of July? Plus, we've also got rising gas prices, though $37 oil is still pretty cheap. So I say keep an eye on Thor and Winnebago. Thor reports next Monday and Winnebago reports on the 17th. I think you can buy them if they sell off going into earnings, but otherwise you should withhold judgment. And I do like Camping World. The bottom line, while we've got an incredible bull market in the RV and camping stocks, we're very much late to the party with this one. My bad. I think the pandemic has given the industry a huge long term boost, but the stocks might pull back as Wall Street realizes that the recession could be longer than they expected and even deeper. If you like the RV place, that's when you buy them. Kevin in Texas. Kevin. Hey, Jim. I recently purchased American Airlines stock at 1044 a share. After listening to one of your recent episodes, you stated we should not bottom fish. I love your episodes and highly value your opinion. Summer is huge for the airline industry. How might social distancing affect American Airlines stock this summer? Well, that, that's the worry. I mean, like, look, I, I am a, I have uh, decided that it's OK to recommend Southwest because Gary Kelly's going to figure out a way to do it. But I am concerned about social distancing and airlines, and I've not tra- changed my my view on that. Let's go to Todd in Massachusetts, please. Todd. Jimbo, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on the show. All good. How about you? Doing well. So uh, I'm calling about Spirit Airlines. They're down about 67% from the beginning of February uh, before Corona hit, uh, compared to 48% for the Jets ETF. And a lot of the other individual airline stocks have been hit a lot harder, or not hit as, as hard. So I'd expect that Spirit would have an advantage right. relative to these other airlines, uh, given their lower cost structures, cheaper ticket fares, uh, and should be primed to outperform. So my question for you is, 
Why is Spirit trading at discount? And do you think well, it's, it's quality? It just doesn't have the quality. You put the, that company up against Southwest Air. I mean, it, that's night and day. It, you know, these companies do have good managements and let's say not as good managements, reputations that are great and reputations that are not as great. And that's just the way it is, like every industry. Right, there's a bull market in the RV and camping stocks. Keep your eye on these. They've moved up a lot, but they can always come down and you can do some buying. Much more made money, including my sit-down with Proofpoint. Is the company worth considering as the work-from-home trend continues? I've got the CEO. Then it's, company, it's a company up 35% over the past month alone. Can the move in Marvell, M-R-V-L, a stock that's part of my COVID-19 index continue? And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We've seen a remarkable run in these cybersecurity stocks thanks to the work-from-home economy. Most of them have now kind of run so much that they're pretty expensive. So maybe it's time to start looking for cybersecurity places that maybe lagged a tad. Take Proofpoint, one of our all-time favorites, is cloud-based security software play. It's focused on protecting people because people are what most hackers target. Also, because people make the most mistakes. Yes, this company used to do just email security, but in recent years, they've made a series of acquisitions, bulk up on their exposure to cloud security. And that's why Proofpoint stock is often lagged. The pure cloud plays like Zscale or Okta, CrowdStrike. But you know what? When Proofpoint reported a month ago, the company knocked it out of the park and also gave terrific guidance. Stock surged up to the 130s at the time. Since then, though, it's pulled back more than 15 bucks on no particular news. There was a brief rotation out of these stocks, and Proofpoint hasn't bounced back as fast as some of the others. So could this be the buying opportunity? Let's take a closer look with Gary Steele, the chairman of Proofpoint Frequent Guest. Hear more about how his company's doing and where it's going. Mr. Steele, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. All right, so Gary, at a company, an individual goes, right? It goes to the headquarters protected by other smart people that you can ask them about doing something they'll say no that's really dumb you go and they don't do it you go home you must be making all sorts of mistakes and the hackers must be all over this no definitely and and what we've seen since covid broke is that the threat actors have really been leveraging covid as kind of the key lure to try to get people to click on things open documents etc and so i think employees frankly are more vulnerable than ever before and companies understand that and they're responding well, this Observe IT that you bought, I like them. They're really smart. And they put out this Cost of Insider Threats Global Report, and it is something like 62% of the employees who make simple mistakes account for this. I mean, now why? I mean, yeah. it, are we that dumb, or do we, or do we need proof point because we just are scared or don't know what we're doing? No, I think, I think on, the insiders, on, on the insider part of our business, what, what we definitely see is you've got a lot of employees actually trying to do the right thing, but they make mistakes. And that re- creates risk and vulnerability for the company. And so organizations are looking to companies like Proofpoint to help them solve those kinds of problems. And it's even more exacerbated in this world where you're sitting by yourself in your home office and you might not, make, you might not always make the best of decisions. Now, if I had, you've always been genteel about the competition, but if I have the regular Microsoft program, uh, it sounds like the customers are telling you, look, I, I, I like Microsoft, but frankly, I can't live without Proofpoint. So what does Proofpoint do that Microsoft doesn't? And why can't Microsoft duplicate what Proofpoint does? Yeah, I think it, it kind of comes down to three simple things. So first is effectiveness. So our ability to be able to attack the threats of today 
And when the world went to COVID, for example, we were right out in front um, responding to those kinds of issues. And they weren't seeing it, frankly, across other competitive solutions. Second point is visibility. So we really help organizations understand who those threat actors are that are targeting, targeting them. And then it's just a multitude of features that make the controls that we that we provide to companies that much more compelling to better protect their individuals. And, also, and I'm sorry, telling that story every day. Well, I also think that when I look at some of these companies, they were they were created in the last four or five years, maybe three years. You guys went through 2009. You went through the Great Recession. I think that gives you a little better understanding as an investor of why I want to be in Proofpoint versus a lot of these other guys that were just created. No, definitely. And we learned a lot from that 0809 experience where we saw as the economy contracted, the experience that we had, we understood how to deal with our customers. They licensed for fewer seats when they renewed, but they all came back. So it was an experience that we had that we're frankly leveraging into our day-to-day operating environment today. Now, you have some pretty good relationships in hospitality and travel, uh, and you have an expertise in healthcare. Now, there's been, I don't think people realize it, but I'm sure you do, there's a healthcare mandated healthcare recession in this country. It's been mandated by the government. Has that hurt your business? And when the heck is it going to lift? Yeah, so we talked about this in our earnings call that roughly 20% of our customers are in those impacted industries. So think travel, hospitality, um, energy, and then parts of healthcare. And, you know, I think that um, it's probably going to take a year or so, but we'll get those we'll get those users back. So as companies regain full employment and hopefully in the next year, we'll see all that come back to us. Uh, How about the opportunity to grab from Symantec? You know, it's been interesting as as Symantec moved under Broadcom, we saw a lot of frustration in the customer base and we saw a lot of outreach from both channel partners and customers and in this world of COVID where threats are real, they're imminent, organizations have been looking for change. And that's created, frankly, opportunity for us. And we don't think that's just a one quarter thing. We think that plays out over, frankly, over several years. And you're continuing with that 98% recurring rate, which I love so much because I can model how you're doing even these hard times. Absolutely. And so if you look at, again, look at our business from a financial standpoint, one of the very most compelling aspects of our business model is the fact that 98% of our revenue recurs. And that's frankly why we get guidance for the year. Like a lot of companies stood down on guidance um, in the most recent quarter. We felt comfortable given the visibility we have to provide guidance to the street. And uh, just one last thing, you've always been so helpful because I know you're enterprise, but can you just tell our viewers one or two, three, th- one or two things that they should know if they click on, they're really going to get hurt? Yeah, um, really simple thing. So, Threat actors are trying to steal from you. So just think about it as simple as that. And so it's all these lures that make you compelled to click on a link or open a document, go to the original website, don't click on that link. If you don't know what's in a document, don't open it. There's some very simple things that we can all do to better protect ourselves. And is anybody, is there any government? I mean, does anybody ever go after these guys? Well, you know, it's interesting. The the range of threat actors that we see today really range everything from state actors, so governments taking action to organized crime to just hackers. And when these organizations are operating on soil where someone can do something, the U.S. government definitely does step in and, and, and makes efforts to shut, shut it down. But for the most part, these actors operate in territories where there's no extradition and there's, there's no um, ramifications from the U.S. government. Any particular governments really after us? 
Pardon me, Jim. Say Any particular time. bad governments? I mean, is there is you it know, Iran? It's, it's is it North good. Korea still? We see activity across all of those common nation states, whether it's Russia, Iran, North Korea, etc. Ah, all right. Well, look, you do a great service and you still stay ahead of the game of, of the competitors, which I love. It's always great to talk to you. Learn something every time you're on. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jim. Good okay. talking to you. That's Gary Steele, Chairman CEO of Proof Point PFPT. It's been a real winner. It's going to stay a real winner. Man, money's back into the break. The lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate. The lightning round. Matthew in Pennsylvania. Matthew. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. All the way from Lancaster County. Oh, man. Oh, Beautiful part finance. of the country. What's going on? I know, right? I got a finance stock for you. Aries okay. Capital Corporation, ARCC. I've- okay, we do not know what they're really investing in. That has caused a problem. A lot of people have lost money in these stocks. I am not going to recommend it. Let's go to Patrick in Iowa. Patrick. Hi. Uh, so UBS Financial pays a great dividend. What do you think? It's not that great a dividend. It's 3.28. Wells has a better dividend. And, you know, I'm starting to warm up again to Wells because I saw that they got out of the auto loan business, which made me think that they got a horse sense. Charlie Sharp, a good guy. Uh, so no to UBS. I need to go to Anthony in Florida. Anthony. Jimmy, big booyah from sunny South Florida. Very much so, yes. Well, it's not so sunny right now, but how do I say that? First time caller, fan for many, many years. Okay. Appreciate all your wisdom. Think you're a great man. Thank you. Got in a little bit high on ARCT. What do I do? Talk to me. Okay, you know, look, it's another RNA play, and a lot of people are really interested in RNA. Moderna is RNA. Uh, it's a speculative stock. As long as you don't put too much of your capital in it, I'm going to okay it because I believe in the RNA technology, even though, once again, even Dr. Fauci said he was not happy with what the Moderna guys did when they hyped their own stock in there. And sell, sell, sell. Let's go to Nick in South Carolina. Nick. Hey, Jim, this is Nick here. Big booyah to you, and I hope you and your family are safe and well. They're doing fine. If if you see them, let me know. I will. I'm a long-time listener and a relatively young investor. I've got my emergency fund, retirement savings, and index index tracking funds covered, but I want a high-growth stock for the long term. I think big data and analytics will be a big part of the future. What do you think about Alteryx, and what's the interest? Have you used them versus the traditional spreadsheet? Theirs is much better, and that's why I think that Alterx is a buy. They're welcome on the show. They're really smart guys, too. I really think they have it down. Hey, let's go to Home Air in Texas. Home Air. Booyah, Mr. Jim. Booyah. Thank you for taking my call. Welcome. Big fan of your show, sir. Thank you. First thing first, I would, I would like to give a shout-out to one of my friends, Kalyan, who helped me make some decent money during this pandemic. Uh... My question for you is regarding uh, my stock, uh, Lyft, uh, heavily invested. Yeah, I mean, what look, I, look I, I, I got, now you got the uh, problems in cities, you got COVID, it's just a little too much heavy lifting for Lyft. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
Right now, I think you need to own stocks that can work regardless of how things play out with this pandemic or the protests or the government's attempt to reopen the economy. That means you want powerful long-term themes. How about like 5G? How about like the rise of the data center? Which brings me to Kramer fave Marvell Technology. It's a semiconductor company that makes chips for networking, communications, and storage. They've got a ton of 5G and data center exposure. And that's why I've been recommended for ages. It's why we own a big position for our charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. And it's why I put it in the Med COVID-19 index six weeks ago also known as the Kramer COVID index. Sure enough, last week, Marvell reported a spectacular quarter with a substantial top and bottom line beat coupled with terrific guidance. That set the stock surging 9% on Friday. It just keeps running another 5% today. Marvell's now up roughly 30% for the year. Can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Matt Murphy. He's the bankable president and CEO of Marvell Technology. Get a better read on the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Murphy, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Well, Matt, it's happy 25th. Uh, birthday for Marvell, but I think you need to walk through our viewers. This is not the Marvell of 25 years ago or even 25 months ago. It's one that really is in keeping with what we're watching right now in, that's playing out in technology. Yeah, Jim, it's been a, first of all, it's been a great 25 year uh, celebration of the company this year. Uh, but you're right, we've gone through a pretty substantial transformation really over the last three to four years. You know, uh, myself and, and, a, and a small team of us joined the company about four years ago, and we really set out to uh, transform the company into a long-term player with a real focus around what we viewed as the data infrastructure opportunity. And I think as you can see, as the strategies played out over the last few years, uh, it's extremely relevant in today's environment uh, with you know now major growth drivers for the company um, at our back, including 5G, cloud, uh, segments of, of enterprise, as well as automotive for, for next generation opportunities. You know, it's funny. Automotive was the one that I was the really the flavor of the day today because China Automotive was up 11 and a half percent. And I thought of you because when I went over your quarter, the one thing I was worried about was like, oh, darn, he's got 5G. I love he's got data. Center, but he's got auto. But the truth is, is that auto can suddenly get hot. Right. That's right. And, and for us, we've uh, today have actually a very small percentage of our revenue in automotive. But the exciting part is. We've now secured design wins for our Ethernet products, which is, think of it as the network and the backbone of all future automotive uh, systems. Uh, We've got design wins across 16 different car OEMs, three of which are going to ramp up this year, and then the balance of them are going to be for model year 21. And to your point, while there's been a very short-term disruption in in automotive production uh, due to the coronavirus, uh, there are certainly signs that that situation is improving. And so we believe by the time uh, the car models that we're in, which are all the brand new models ramping next year, um, there are certainly very positive signs of production resuming. And I think the first leading indicator is certainly China, China Auto uh, with a strong recovery today. Yeah, I find that China has been a, a forerunner for everything right now. Now, 5G. Uh, a lot of people worried uh, Huawei, the government had issues, not you, but government had issues with Huawei. But it turns out that there's more than just Huawei. And it looks like that you are embedded or part of the 5G of every major telco company. How did that happen? That's right. 
Well, yeah, for, first of all, you know, historically, you know, Huawei had, had, had been a customer of Marvell's. And as you mentioned, due to the entity list restrictions starting last year, you know, our, our exposure to, to that customer has gone down pretty dramatically. Um, you know, if you just take the 5G uh, progress we've made in isolation, you know, let's head back to really 2018. We, we closed a transformational acquisition that year with a company called Cavium who, when we bought it, had uh, one design win on a key component at one major OEM, which was Samsung. Uh, through our own efforts, right, our own team, uh, the combined team now of, of Marvell and Cavium, plus a key acquisition we made last year of, of, a, uh, of a Vera semiconductor, we've now secured through our own efforts organically, as well as through acquisitions, um, significant content across all of the, the, the remaining key four players in 5G systems. And it's a really a story of a diversity of customers, a diversity of products and technologies that we supply into the radio base stations, uh, a multitude of components. And think of it as pretty much all of the key elements of data processing, which are very specialized, Jim, for 5G. Marvell has unique uh, technology for that that's extremely differentiated from, from the rest of the market. And, and yes, you're right, we're exposed to uh, all the other OEMs and which then exposes us to every major geography that is going to roll out 5G starting now and into the future. One last question people should understand, maybe you should explain, that yes, you bought Cavium, you bought another company. At the same time though, you did sell another company and your balance sheet's actually better than it was 18 months ago. Yeah, Jim, I mean, you know, we, you know, and I've had a philosophy since I joined, which was, I'd call it solving, solving for value and not necessarily solving for overall aggregate revenue. And so even when I first joined in 2016, uh, we did a number of small divestitures and portfolio repositioning uh, prior to the Cavium acquisition. And, and those moves, plus our own self-help, if you remember from 2016 to 2017, sure. roughly doubled the value of the company and we were able to use that currency to do the successful Cavium deal. Um, in, as you point out, last year, we made a decision to divest our Wi-Fi uh, product line to NXP. Uh, we closed that transaction in December and we were able to actually uh, transfer that business to, to NXP, which is a great home for our team and in that product area. And that was able to not only fund the, the purchase of Avera and Aquantia, which is also a key purchase for us for, for Ethernet technology. But it, to your point, it strengthened our balance sheet significantly. And we added roughly 600 million in, 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 in proceeds when all of the, the moving pieces were done. So a lot of heavy lifting last year, Jim. I mean, we bid off probably more than management, more, <laughs> more than most management teams would doing two acquisitions and one divestiture in a single year. But, it's a, but I think these portfolio moves plus our own efforts have really put us in a great position now to be the leading company in what we call the data infrastructure oh, opportunity. You absolutely are. I want to thank you so much, Matt, for what you've done. Happy 25th anniversary. You are the best, the best pure play, I think, also in 5G. That's my own view. That's Matt Murphy's president CEO of Marvell Technologies, MRVL. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. All right, don't miss my friend Scott Wabner on Crisis in America tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. And, of course, stick with Kramer. Tonight at 7 p.m., Crisis in America 
one Seattle business owner trying to recover from a one-two punch from the pandemic and the protests. Plus, what responsibility do CEOs have to speak out? And the growing tensions at Facebook. All tonight at 7 p.m. with Scott Wapner. the action after the bell. Zoom had an amazing quarter, but you know, the stock has run big, so people are taking profits. CrowdStrike, a fantastic quarter, but not up enough, you would think. What are they buying? They're buying what I said at the top of the show. They're buying the cyclicals. Why? Because first of all, they haven't had any sort of run. But second, China and Germany are driving the cyclicals. We're being pulled along by the rest of the world. It's something new. And I say, don't think about it, just enjoy it. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you, right here on May of Monday. I'm Jim Craver, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.